Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Vijeps F.E. Kingsley, Assistant VP of Trust and Safety at Genpack. And Vijeps is a seasoned strategist in the digital realm. With over a decade in trust and safety and ad tech, he steered global internet platforms toward growth and social impact. Beyond managing half a billion dollar business verticals, Vijip sits on the board of two major organizations offering strategic insights. He's a trusted voice for venture capitalists, guiding them in internet tech investments, a mentor to budding tech professionals, and a supporter of leadership programs for social nonprofits. I've asked Vijip to join, share his story with us today and talk about creating value plus fostering a safer digital world. So, Effie, thank you for joining us today. How you doing, man? Hi, Darren. That was very elaborate. I'm part of that and still growing to most of it. So I wouldn't say I'm still there. <laughs> right. There's no summit to this crazy mountain, right? We're all, there's no peak. You're never like, I've accomplished. I'm, I thought I did that. I had a mini retirement in my 30s. That's the beach for those that see the video that aren't audio only. The beach is my background here as a reminder for that. One, it's a reminder of the good life that I had when I had my mini retirement, but also it's a reminder that I didn't last a week. I was like, I need a reason to get up in the morning. This sucks. I just couldn't. I think a lot of people, they, they achieve their financial goals, we'll say. And then all of a sudden, some of the, what am I trying to say here? It's not quite a crutch. It's if you had to walk on crutches and then the crutches aren't there and you have to force yourself to walk again. Some of the things, like I had issues with addiction. Now it was only marijuana. I wasn't like a hard drug. For me, I was, and I don't mean to take this way at the beginning, but hey, this is where we are. For me, when I had like full control of my schedule and I could take a whole year, two years if I wanted and not have to worry about bills and all that. All of a sudden it was like, Hey, I'll show up to that meeting. high. who cares if they don't, I don't need clients that can't accept me for me. It was these things where before you would never do that. Cause I can't lose my job and I can't, I got to pay my bills. But now it's, I do, this is, I learned this with a child because I have a daughter in terms of reward systems. Like a lot of parents, okay, you do this, you can have some ice cream, but you teach the child that the sweets are a reward for being good. And then when they become adults, I'm a good person. I deserve this. And what is the real reward? What is the real incentive? Yeah, it's for me, it's every day I wake up and I, I start my day with my schedule, trying to figure out what I need to do. But I do take some time to reflect on the day before I start my day. And one of the primary things at the top of my list is there are so many things that I don't know I need to learn. And whether it's in personal life, whether it's in professional life, social life, there is a lot that I don't know. So my, my day usually starts with thinking about what's one thing that I can learn today. So mm. that goes back to whether I'm talking to people, whether I'm reading, whether I'm even working, trying to figure out, trying to solve a problem. It's always a checklist at the end of my day to see I added something to myself that I didn't know from before, which is, and that's why I said when you started with everything on the portfolio of 
where I am today, it's still a it's still a process. It's still an evolution. I don't know if I'll be the same person I'll be today, tomorrow, because I would have added something to me. I don't know if I'm the same person I uh, I was yesterday because there's something new in me today. That's an interesting point. Talking with a friend, not that I'm going to ask you your opinion on abortions, but the thing that came up where it was, when it comes to the topic of abortions, when do you become you? Are you, and this is not an answer, this is a rhetorical question, but are you, when your heart starts to beat, are you, when you come out of your mother, are you in the series of events that have to, to coalesce in order for you to be created? Like, at what point are you, when the sperm hits the egg, at what point, this is like a, a, a thought that for me, at least, it really helps me understand the, the oneness of everything in the sense of maybe technically you're you when the egg, the sperm and the egg combine, okay, maybe, or the heartbeat, or you exit. Okay, those are very hard milestone technical things. But you still have to acknowledge, like right now, you and I, we, how we exist. If I take a fish, how much is fish and how much is ocean? Because if I remove the ocean, the fish ceases to exist. So right now, you and I, we are this collection of all these things that have happened to allow us to have the technology to talk from different geographic locations to throw our voice. It's just, it's a neat, it's a neat idea that we are not, you're not you in your room and I'm not just me and mine. Like you are you, but we're also all the collective things that had to happen to bring us to this moment. Which and is absolutely. Cool. We are outcome of our situations and the people we meet. Right. Yeah, that's well said. So let's get back on track a little bit though. Let's talk about your career and how did you even first get started in this are your parents into technology is this like a family trade were you like dealing with silicone chips as a kid and, and wiring circuit boards or what no i'll have to go back to the start <laughs> um i i compartmentize and say my life has happened in phases and each phase has something to do with the previous which has taken me forward so i i don't really come from a or let me put it this way. I don't come from privilege. So I come from a middle-class Indian family. and But I grew up in different places. My mom worked with an NGO. Uh, she built an NGO up in the state of Maharashtra, uh, which is to the, in the central part of India. But I come from Tamil Nadu, which is to the south of India. And I've lived at multiple states after that. So when I was growing up, so I had a normal childhood and then I went to boarding school so I, I lived with people from different cultures people from different backgrounds people who spoke different languages but mm. we lived together that that's one aspect that right from childhood that put a sense of diversity and inclusion and co-living community everything together I, I don't know how to distinguish all of this today because I grew up that way and the school that I lived in didn't value just plain education. They were not just talking about how you study. We had a schedule starting at 5 a.m. in the morning till about 10 in the night that covered sports, horse riding, swimming, education, and everything. I grew up knowing to have a more balanced understanding of life, and which got inculcated quite young. And then how exactly I got into technology is a different question because 
while I was growing up, I always wanted to be in the aviation sectors and I'm still very passionate about that sector. If you're still, we can have a completely different podcast talking about the aviation sector. So uh, I always wanted to be in that. And once I finished my graduation, I went on to study aviation management uh, and I did intern at an I didn't. I did uh, be a trainee at an airport event at the beginning, uh, but that was an unpaid internship, and I continued it for a year. And at that time, the aviation sector was very low. It was going through crisis, and this is 2012-2013 in India when aviation was at its depth. So I, I couldn't find a lot of opportunities for me to continue, and which is why I shift shifted into tech. And that happened by chance. I was at an interview in Bangalore. And the company that I went to interview with, which is one of one of the largest airlines in India, said I was too qualified or I knew too much about the sector to take the role that I was applying for. So they said, why don't you come in for a different role? And, and this is at a time when I was still a fresher or a fresher meant I was still looking for an entry-level job. So I was sitting at a coffee shop after the interview. I was a little down because... I really wanted to find a way into the sector. And from there, a friend of mine in Bangalore was actually meeting me that evening. And he said, why don't you meet these folks who are starting out healthcare startup in Bangalore? And why don't you talk to them? They might have a few roles. Uh, And until you figure out your aviation thing, you could be here and then move back. And then I went in for a discussion at about 7.30, 8 in the evening. And I walked out with having a job in my hand with them. And that's how I entered tech. And we could speak more about and then what I did. But that was my first introduction to, I wouldn't say technology, but a job in tech. Mm. And understanding how a corporate system works or a startup culture works. It was a small mm. company. It was a startup at that point. But... I would say that was another boon that kind of happened to me because I didn't get into a more structured, large company right at the beginning, but I could see mm. how a company is set up and how to work with various factors of a company, right. uh, which kind of gave me a foundation, I would say. So what were... So what happened as you learned that the foundation, what were you think some of the, if you had to talk to yourself again, what would be some of the advice you would give yourself in terms of the critical things to know? And this is something that I still follow. We need to understand, or at least I need to understand the basics of anything that I get into. For an example, today we speak about generative AI, but do I understand the fundamentals of AI before I think about generative AI? Because generative AI is a little more advanced than what a foundational AI would be. If I don't understand the basics, then trying to figure out, or without understanding the foundation, I can't build a skyscraper. I can't go on to the 100th floor. I can't be on the 100th floor unless I understand what the foundation, mm-hmm. right. what the foundation is. So that's typically what I follow throughout. Even if I've always been fortunate to be given responsibilities of things that I have never done before, including my first job, which is something that I had never done. I was still a rookie, but I was given a large responsibility, this responsibility right away. From then on to even now, I've always had roles that that were new to me, 
which I had to learn at the same time, scale. And whenever I'm given something, I try to understand what the basics of it is first so that I understand on what foundation it is built. And most of the time, uh, it is that that keeps me or that helps me grow because I understand what the foundational understanding of fundamentals are. Mm, Yeah, I agree. Fundamentals are fundamental. In fact, I think virtue is doing the common uncommonly well. I heard that said before, that virtue is doing the common things uncommonly well. And I have a martial arts background, so that makes sense to me. There's one guy, Hodger Gracie. He's from a a famous family in the art that I studied and his whole competition career, everybody knew what he was going to do. He was going to take them down. He was going to put them in mount and then he was going to gi choke them. And it's, you didn't, it was, there was no surprise what he was going to come at you with, but he still won title after title because no one could stop him from doing that to them. And these are all things that you learn in your first couple of months training in the art. And so like you talk about the fundamentals, often when I talk to people and there's issues and I take a look at their business, they're missing some of the fundamentals, right? I think that's just such a powerful, the fundamentals are fundamental for a reason, because without those pillars, it's like having a wobbly table and you might be okay for a while, but if anyone shakes the table too much, things won't work out so well. So uh, what have been some of the biggest challenges in your career? So let me say, this will sound cliche, but it's always been opportunities, you know, whether, so uh, I'll give you an example. I was really doing well in a role in advertising. I was managing, okay, let me take a few steps back. When I joined one of one of the largest tech companies in the world earlier in my career, I was given a role to where I was managing global advertising insight management, which is basically trying to understand the intelligence out of advertising that has already run so that the future advertising models can become more effective and efficient. So I I was given the responsibility to build a team that's Mm. able to drive out insights. So that's looking at large data, building models that will be able to drive out insights. And then while I just set up the team and I stabilized it, they said I need to pick up a different project or they asked me if I could pick up another project that was going through a crisis, which was in the trust and safety space. Mm. So at that time, I was thinking of it to be a challenge because I just set up this team. It was stable. It was, I was in a comfortable space. Now I had to go and pick something up, which I didn't know anything about. Because until that point, obviously I knew what was safe internet, what needs to make sure that whatever we we are building needs to be safe, but I didn't understand the fundamentals of trust and safety. or I didn't understand what it would entail. At that point, I thought it was a challenge or I thought it was a challenge for me because I had to go into something extremely new to me. But today, when I think about it, it was the biggest opportunity I would have had because I'm still working in trust and safety at a different level. So what would you recommend to someone who's starting out or struggling? In the same capacity. I wouldn't want to give a very generic response. If you would have asked me a few years back, I would have said, continue to learn, do what's right, pick any opportunity that comes your way. But today, today I know every circumstance is different. And Mm. you, every individual have to make the best of what their circumstance would do. There are people, and this is because I've lived around different parts of the world today. Not everybody 
has the privilege to have the opportunities. Right. Yes. And it, it is substantially difficult for some of them to get the even get the right opportunities to be able to then deliver. If I have to advise someone today, I would say punch above your weight. I love that. And make the best of what you have. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Punch. I, I think I'd say I agree. Punch above your weight and do more with less. Do yeah, more with absolutely. less than you have. I think that's an important, not to fix what you're saying. I think we're both speaking the same, but to refine it a bit. Punching above your weight is so great because I learned this in fitness. You're never going to lift a hundred pounds. I don't know. Let's say your goal is to back squat a hundred pounds. You're never going to get there lifting 10 pounds. You can lift 10 pounds 300 times. It's not going to make you lift a hundred pounds. You maybe want to build a base and work up to it. But what you got to do is you got to play around with 60%. 70, 80%. And then every now and then you got to do something that scares you. If you, you just, you got to do, you got to do more. You got to dream bigger. There's a quote, Michelangelo, I forget how it goes, but it's like the greatest, whatever is not that people set uh, goals too high and fail to meet them. It's that they, the most, it's like the most common failing is not that people set goals too high and fail to achieve it. It's that they set goals too low and they get it right. That's the biggest shortcoming. And I think that's huge. I think that's super huge because Humans, like we are knowledge creation machines. I heard this said recently. I really like it. Someone said, we took sand and created intelligence, right? Like we took sand for people that don't get it. We took sand, which we use to make silicone, which we use to make silicone chips, which are in computers, which we now use to make AI. So we turn sand into intelligence. That's not, I've had people tell me about that. We need to, people debating, saying we need uh, more socialism because we have finite resources on the planet. What they don't realize is that the bandwidth of longitude, latitude that humans can survive in naturally, this Garden of Eden utopia idea is so narrow, like 80% of the world population couldn't exist right now without the technology that we've had to create to survive those environments. I'm from Canada. You die. The pioneers came and they settled there. And they're like, this place is great. They showed up in spring. It's so beautiful. There's so much energy in the air and fresh growth. What a paradise. And they had a great summer. And then winter came in and killed them all because they had no idea. And that was the whole, they had to develop technology. In Canada, we have to build for four seasons. And with water, when water gets in something, it freezes, it expands, right? Here, where I'm in the Philippines, it's like they're building for rain. That's it. It's going to be hot and it's going to be wet. That's it. There's no water getting into little cracks and then stretch pushing them open when there's none of that you have earthquakes but i agree with everything that you said uh now what do you think are some of the most skills and behaviors like for yourself and your staff what do you think are the most important skills and behaviors for yourself and your staff to to improve or develop and i got into people management quite early i got a team quite early where I was managing. I started managing a very small sales team. Then I moved to managing entire account team, advertising account team. Eventually, I once I joined the larger organizations, I started managing people across operations or strategy. Or uh, Today, I work in a, a practice segment, which is basically a bunch of experts. So again, in each space, there are different Again, there are different fundamentals to managing the work part of it. So right. from a skill set, obviously, there is different ways of building each of the teams up. 
but the fundamental still i think remains the same i tell people to continuously learn and not stop learning one of the one of the primary things where people get stagnant is when they stop learning something whether it is related to the role or when they when people keep learning something it keeps them intellectually stimulated that shows up in other parts of their work mm-hmm. so that's one thing that i always or encourage my team to do and most and all of them to keep doing it the second thing is there is there is a certain sense of culture that needs to be built within the team and that means mm. bringing a balance within the team so everybody brings their part to that so it's i can't build a team of all alphas i can't build a team of all betas i can't build a team of all leaders i can't build a team of so i need to have a team that's far more balanced where people bring different aspects which means as a leader i need to identify the different virtues of different people mm-hmm. so individually then i try to understand what strengths of people are and i i tell them to build on their strengths while also making sure that they're able to solve for their weaknesses so oh i love how you say that yes what that means is as humans we all have our strengths and weaknesses doesn't mean we will never have weaknesses but we need to be able to manage it in one or the other way yeah i so, love that i love that so much because a lot of people they say work your work on your weaknesses but if i'm weak in something i'm never going to get as good at that as someone who's passionate about that thing now so i love how you said solve for it because you can't ignore that you have flaws you need yeah. to address it and do your best to to cope and a lot of that is like i said building a team what i love so far is you really talked about like team building culture building identifying your strengths um solving for your weaknesses i just love that phrase that's just such a good phrase yeah and that also comes from a few things one is it comes from individual effort and also it comes from the support that you get from the ecosystem so for me it's more important to build an ecosystem of support and mm. this i think i have been very fortunate because every company that i've been with every role that i have performed i have been very fortunate to have extremely good mentors and extremely good leaders to lead me and that has enabled i think that has actually accelerated the way i have grown as a person as and as a professional so for me when i started building a team i needed to make sure that i am able to provide for even if it is beyond the means of what in my what is in my control at times to be able to get to what is required to build that kind of ecosystem where people are enabled so that there are external and internal factors but from within the team i would say that support system that is required when you are building that culture is it's extremely essential and then the other thing and i'll i'll relate back to the first question that you asked which is what is it required for a person the other thing is everybody have different ambitions everybody's drives are different so somebody might have drive to grow their career 
or their career is their pinnacle, somebody might have ambitions of earning more money. Somebody might just want to be comfortable. They don't, they, they're not overtly ambitious. They want to have more stability because maybe they have external factors like their families where they need to keep stable. Some people might need to have a job because of their circumstances. I don't, and this again, I have learned over time that I can't force people to be passionate about something. They need to find their drive. And I do help or I do enable people within my team to be able to identify what that is so that they understand what they're working towards. I love that. It almost speaks to me in terms of incentives. So before we hit record, I was telling you about a client that I'm working with who is causing some stress on me. And I've actually had to work with them a lot with incentives on their program. So for example, originally they thought it was enough. So they have an appointment setting team and they thought it was enough originally to just offer a base monthly and then per booked call commission, so long as the book call is confirmed by the closer that it was a qual that they were qualified. And that was enough. But I took the team and said, we should they have four people. Let's make two teams of two and let's offer a prize of a spa. They're all women. So let's offer a prize of a day at the spa or a staycation night at a luxury hotel. And that got the number, the performance even higher. And then I approached him and I said, Hey, Let's make it so if they hit the quota for the day, they can go home. Because we don't care that they're there for eight hours. We want this. So if we make the incentive for that, and I got this, I wish I was uh, that brilliant, but I got this from FedEx. Apparently this is how FedEx was able to offer shipping worldwide in 24 hours or less. Because they said, look guys, you don't need to be here for eight hours. You just need to be here long enough to get everything off of that. Like when the shipments come in, once the load truck is unloaded, you can go home. And because they did that, that allowed them to reliably promise the 24-hour delivery. And so just as while you're talking, when you said that, you can't force passion. You need They need to find their drive. It got yeah. me thinking about incentives again. And that's why I brought that up. I'm like, I'm going to just do it for him. Because I talked to the team. There's two channels. And I'm going to just let them know that I'll take any brunt of his wrath because he brought me in to help improve efficiency. And I really think that if they can work three hours and go home, but get paid for an eight hour day, for some of them, that's a big incentive. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me let me give you uh, another example of this. It doesn't just work in business. Uh, there is this foundation called Pani Foundation in India, which is a social organization that is looking at drought-ridden villages in central India. Uh, it's run mm. by a very famous actor in India. He, they, they introduced cups under different names. One of it is called a farmer cup. So okay. they drive sustainability by, or they drive ecological development by introducing competition between villages. Okay. Which basically enables them to get to sustainability faster and right. ecological development faster. Yeah, I love that. That's the basic um argument between free markets and socialism because in free markets there's an incentive to be better to be excellent if you can be excellent at solving a problem you make more money and people want the more excellent 
product or service. But in socialism, where everyone's kept equal, there's no incentive to be better than anyone else because you're just going to get what you get anyhow. And so that leads to a stagnant society in a lot of ways. And so what you just described to me is exactly like at the heart. And we know that we, a lot of us live in crony capitalism, not pure free markets, and, and that there are generational issues that need to be addressed, that a generational advantage can be had. And then you have monopolies and nobody benefits from monopoly. We all know experiences of big corporations where we just wish we had an alternative and they couldn't treat us like they do. And that's what you get with, and those are some of the drawbacks to both. But I love what you're talking about, that the, the incentives, that's like the X prize, I think was a thing where they put up a big pile of money to, hey, if you can solve these problems, you get this big prize. Plus you solve the problem. You get all the notoriety, any intellectual IP you create is yours. So I think that's, that's the thing that's a really fantastic thing. Now, now let's talk about trust and safety for a little bit, because I know that there's been some issues with censorship and such. And I know that you have certain beliefs on the topic and that content moderation is one, but that's not just trust and safety. And I also, this is brand new to me as of today. Okay. And I'm going to preface this. I consider myself a spiritual person, not religious, but that said, I'd heard the term Mark of the Beast. I didn't really know what Mark of the Beast was. And I learned today about Revelations 13, 16 to 18. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of the beast. And it's the mark is described as being this. I asked AI, what does this mean? And it's in the book of Revelations, the beast is a symbol of evil and is associated with the end of times. The mark is described as being necessary for commerce as those without the mark would not be able to buy or sell. And I just took a flight the other day and in the tube that you go through when you're getting up the plane, a bank HSBC had this big banner of a handprint and it said, your DNA will be your data. And it was the right handprint. And that's what got me <laughs> hilarious about this, but I think it fits into trust and safety, right? And banking and, and biometric data. And uh, there's yeah. not really a question in there, but can you just wax poetic your thoughts on this for a minute? See, let me let me go back to the basic of what it is. And I'll, I'll give you the fundamentals of this. We know we have to adopt technologies in every spheres of whatever we do. There are, there, there are certain benefits of using the technology right. And regardless of what domain we take, what walk of life we take, there is a certain level of technological enablement made there already. The fundamental principle of trust and safety is to make sure that technology is used right, is not manipulated, and is safe for anybody to interact with. And that is the foundation of it. Now, everything that's built on top, now, trust and safety would mean very different to a social media company. It would mean very different to an e-commerce company. It would mean, what I mean by mean is how it's implemented, what it's, how it fits into their ecosystem or what it fits into their product would mean very different. But the fundamental of these three things that I said remains the same. It has to be safe. It has to be 
face safe to interact with it has to be safe as by itself and it shouldn't be manipulated to use cannot be manipulated and it's safe what like so you said it's safe for the individual is that correct yeah it's safe for every stakeholder so it's not i'm i'm not just talking about a user i'm talking about the company who owns it i'm talking about the businesses on it mm. i'm talking about say so the company and the end users it's safe for the company and end users it's company. safe in its operation in the sense of you're not driving a car with a hole in the bottom and your feet can get caught right so it's mechanically safe to use and then it cannot be manipulated yeah i think this is an important thing because that's again i'm bringing this back to capitalism but that's we just and i think it's just pertinent i don't know if we have time to go into this but during the pandemic there was a lot of people saying hey forget your freedoms you got to save grandma right and that was used as a big reason for certain things. But it sounds like at the core of trust and safety, one of the, the things about the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and, and most countries and basic human rights is that the needs and rights of the individual actually can be greater than the, the group. That you can't, like, I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anyone outside of me. And as long as this bubble, I don't go through this bubble and cause harm to others, then whatever I do is up to me to do right? And that's my decision. But as soon as what I'm doing is harming other people, obviously, then I'm a threat. And that's almost, that sounds like trust and safety. Whereas what we've gone through the last couple of years, and I'm asking leading questions here, but was you don't get to choose what you do in your bubble, because I'm afraid what you're doing might hurt me. Not that it is, but I'm afraid that it might hurt me. And I think that's even some of the issues that we saw, you talked about social media, like certain content, was everybody knows now was censored because it might cause problems. These fears, what ifs, is that something that's talked about much in trust and safety so, that, yeah. See, one, of, one of the principles of trust and safety or one of the fundamental pillars of trust and safety is the policies on which it operates. So what is meant by policies is what is doable, what's not doable, what's right, what's wrong, what's, you know, what is safe for the platform, what's not, what's safe for a brand, what's not. And while these are defined, these are defined, not just randomly saying, okay, we'll randomly write a policy and that's what we'll follow. But there are regulations that govern it. There are government mandates that say there are, certain, for example, DSA, which is Digital Services Act, which is being and rolled out in the in Europe right now talks about what is it necessary for fundamental safety of using platforms or running platforms in Europe. So these are governed, these are implemented. Now, the effectiveness of implementation of these, now, as you get into each platform and how they implement it, that's where there is a need for more enablement. What I mean by enablement is it has to be more effective. It has to be more efficient. And the systems are still not mature enough to be 100% automated, which means the AIs are not at a precision of 100%, which means there is a hybrid or there is a automated effort and a human effort which come together to make sure that those uh, these things happen. It is necessary, and 
I don't say this is going to have a solution overnight, right. but it is an evolutionary process that every company in the world is trying to get to today. Oh, yeah. But as we say, as we solve a problem, there are the forces that want to act against that creates new problems. Right. The bad apples are always going to be there. They're always going to find new ways of manipulating the platform or creating yep. harm. But we consistently create solutions. And a part of my role today is also to look ahead and see if there is a piece of technology, what are the different ways it can be manipulated right. and create solutions for it before. Then embed that into it so it is not it's not manipulated from the get-go. Yeah. So that's I think that's also that what's kept me going is to look at fun and I don't look at trust and safety from a viewpoint of what the policy is, what the AI is doing or what people are doing. I look at it from a fundamental of here is a product and then I try to find how that product works and then I try to draw a mind map of, okay, there are 20, 20 different functions of this product. What are the different ways function one can be used negatively and then try to solve for it using AI, using the policy, using human intervention. I like that. I think that's an important one. I think that's really important. Yeah. And it's when you talk about AI, it's really important because I've used this example before, but we don't go seek out monkeys and kill them. We're not trying to find every monkey to kill it. We there's poachers, okay. There's people that hunt them for food, okay. Uh, we displace a bunch because of our building and right development, okay. But we aren't seeking out to destroy them all. But when you unleash an AI to find and censor or find and moderate things, it is a seek and destroy bot, essentially. And so whatever we point that at, we've got to be really careful. And so that's I think where having those foundational principles and really at the end of the day, being in pursuit of ultimate truth and excellence and is making sure things like certain rules are written in blood and we forget that as generations pass we forget that free speech is one of those it's the it's in this i'm not Amer i'm canadian not american but it's the first it's the first amendment in the states for a reason poland recently they passed laws i think fining tech companies up to 35 million or 3.5 million per offense for censoring people due to political ideology because they had something like 40 years of communism and they they value free speech. So this is one of those certain rule books are written in blood. And I think done right, like you said, a lot of like today, without this technology, we wouldn't be able to do now what we're doing, talking from totally different places on the planet. <clears throat> and so in some ways, technology is a liberator, but even a hammer can be used as a weapon. And that's where I think, like you say, it's a really important really important to have people like you around and when the world opened up after the pandemic one of the first trips that i took was to indonesia and when i was there and again indonesia again bali is a place which kind of survived on tourism and the pandemic cut when during the pandemic and i traveled the day the lockdown was lifted between singapore and indonesia so, You're like, let me go. I got to get to that beach. And what I saw there really affected me in ways because 
I saw shops that were closed when the pandemic was and the lockdown or the travel restrictions were enforced. Everything in the shops or everything around me <clears throat> was like time stood still and the lockdowns lifted and suddenly the shutters are open. And that kind of, in one evening when I was sitting and thinking about what has happened over the last two years through the pandemic and now, I was thinking that while we talk about, okay, okay, use of social media, use of platforms, we also have to think that this is a, there are, and not just Indonesia, there, there are multiple different, there are multiple small and medium businesses that rely on these platforms for their day-to-day -day revenue, or that's how they make money, which again instilled in me that while we speak about all the problems, there are people who are dependent on it, who need it, not want, but need it to survive day-to-day or who are dependent on it day-to-day -day for their survival and earnings. For me, I think that's what keeps me driving. It's making sure that the purpose for what these platforms are built for is met because hmm. there are these are platforms that are today built for some of this or has been adopted to be used by a lot of these people uh, to survive or to even to make their day-to-day. -day. Whenever I go through phases of what do I do next or how do I grow, I need to be in a place that's not just in some way that's changing or evolving and that's in the forefront of technological revolution, but evolution, revolution, whatever we can call it, but also is impactful to people that makes really difference in people's lives. Hmm. How do I make that safe is what keeps me driving today. Great statement. Effie, is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> like I said, I, I have a lot of stories, but maybe I speak six languages. That's something I haven't said. <laughs> yeah, which is fantastic. I, I only speak three. I speak three well, and I'm working on a fourth, but it's it's impressive. That's a really impressive skill set. And I think it, it gives you almost a superpower in your dealing with other people. Because when you can speak their language, you can, that's the saying, you can speak their language. It really helps you connect, I think, in a powerful way. So yeah. Effie, uh, if people want to reach out and they want to know more, what are some of the best ways for them to get in touch? LinkedIn is the easiest. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. They can find me by my name. I'm the only person by my name on LinkedIn. So, <laughs> so or, if you're going to look for it, type in B-E-J-E-P-S space E-P-H-I space Kingsley, K-I-N-G-S-L-Y. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or they could just go to trustandsafety.xyz. It's a yeah. personal. That's a really easy domain as well. Yes. Trustandsafety.xyz. And you can connect with Effie here. Effie, thank you for joining us. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Might have to get you back. I know we've run out of time and we still have so much to say. But thank you for coming and sharing, knowing that you have your own direct reports, your own following, your own people. Thank you for coming and sharing with me and mine. Thank you. Thanks, Dale. This was amazing. And this was yeah, thank you.